1: here are the ideas that made America great, and here are why my ideas are consistent. I do know, and I think it's very clear from his State of the Union, you are right. The president wants to paint the party as extreme. We have to, given he's doing that, our goal is not to put our chin out and see if he can hit it. Our goal is to actually offer ideas that actually are take problems that are real, that are solvable, and then the policies to address them and why they matter. The biggest issue facing is that the middle class is under tremendous pressure trying to provide the basics of a middle class life, a child's education, the saving for their retirement, and not always be one health care illness away from bankruptcy. And if you can address a comprehensive way of understanding that pressure and the way you want to address it in understanding and feeling the pressure that the middle class are under that is the biggest uh way we can advance our goals and it's not an accident that the gubernatorial races we won across the country in different parts pragmatic governors who said just pave the roads all right hey raise your hand if you miss that guy as mayor let me see wait <laughs> nobody
2: interesting but he did uh he did ride his bike i just biked around lake michigan How many miles was it D? Oh you're looking for how many miles it was Well I think he tells us that as well Hold on here Nearly a thousand miles. Oh, Whoa. thank you. Oh, that's interesting. And by the way, that little bit that he
3: did on the, I guess, ABC, I find, you know, it's funny. It's uh, every now and then, Ram and I uh, see eye to eye at
2: something. So, uh, Our, hour number two of your Ben show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, the Today's Ben Jaroski Show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Let's go. It is Thursday, October 31st. Boo! Halloween. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky (laughs) Show. I scared you. Oh, that's what was that. In this hour of the program, Union Man Ed Maher is with us, and it's Tony Macaluso of the Studs Terkel Archive. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist... Ben Jarofsky. Ed Maher,
3: Operating Engineers, Local 150. We're going to pick that big Ed Maher brain about uh, unions. I already threw the question out to him. He's been feverishly taking notes, preparing his response. How do you get recalcitrant, stubborn union members like me in a union hall to buy into a contract? If, even if they don't agree completely with everything uh, that they read in the contract, et cetera, and so forth. So we're good. And plus a bunch of other issues
2: with Ed Maher. Before we do that, do you get know, an update? Absolutely. It's a, uh uh, the breaking news of the day, it happened uh, a little less than an hour ago. Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Chicago teachers union leaders have agreed to make up five of the day's missed during the union strike, putting a possible end to a contentious few months of bargaining and likely sending 300,000 students Back to school Friday. Boy, what a few weeks it's been here on the Ben Jirotsky show, huh? <laughs> it has been But as oh. I tell you what, we've had it a lot easier than those striking teachers.
3: I
4: just gotta put oh, that out there. Absolutely
3: here. at least it's not raining in here or snowing. Absolutely.
2: You know?
4: If it snows six uh if it snows six inches today. What are the odds that they have a snow day <laughs> tomorrow?
3: And <laughs> hey, by the way, the habit, <laughs> that's true, man. It snows. No more school. F- hey, might as well just close it down for another day. Ed, it's the end of the week, you know, going to the
2: weekend. And we've gotten so much audio uh, from the teacher strike. We just, That was, you know, that was what we were doing, just playing the audio from both sides, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, I think we may have some new uh, clips to play. Move over, Robert Mueller. That's correct. <laughs> okay. We now we may have a new Lori Lightfoot one here, and it seems simple, but it's going to be cool, kind of cool. Check it. Okay. Okay. Yes, yeah. Lightfoot. So ben, uh, if you could, please just talk about uh, talk about sports for a little bit. If you could talk about sports, please talk. Go along with the bit, please. Talk oh. about
3: sports. Well, I love the Chicago Bulls, even though they defeated last night again. This
2: time. Okay, the- that's enough. Okay. <laughs> I think that may work. I think that may work. He set me up, man. Can you believe that? <laughs> took he set a while. me up. You know,
3: uh, the straight man was not that uh, up on things. Huh? What do you want me to talk about sports for? Just talk about sports. <laughs> talk about sports one more time. Uh, last night, my beloved Chicago Bulls okay. lost a okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Bulls are terrible, Ed. But that you're not here to talk well, about we'll, the Bulls. We're going to keep
2: you posted here if any more updates become available with the Chicago Teacher Strike. All right. The teachers cut a deal. We'll get Ed's thoughts
3: on that. Before we do, Ed, though, let's uh, use this as a bulletin board. Uh, the apprenticeship program, something real, something substantive people in the city of Chicago should know about. Uh, One one more time, give folks the the, the information they need to know.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Our apprenticeship program, it's a a three to four year program, depending on which program you get into for operators or mechanics. Um, But uh, it's opening through the month of November. So the first day applications will be available is tomorrow. Uh, People can check out www.local150.org slash apply and it's got all the information. We've got uh, different events throughout Northern uh, Illinois where folks can show up, provide a, um, a driver's license, get an application, and apply for the program. The program, um, you know, it's being an apprentice is, uh, is a way to get trained for a, you know a lifelong career and not have to pay any tuition. There's no cost associated, and uh, you learn in the classroom, you learn on the job. While you're learning on the job, you're getting paid upwards of $20 an hour in most industries. Um, working your way up to a full, you know, a full uh, journeyman operator's wage of, you know, $40 plus per hour, earning health care, retirement benefits along the way. It's a great opportunity. And again, no student debt. So check it out. It's throughout the month of November, and it's local150.org/slash/apply. You get paid to learn. Not a bad deal. Get paid to learn. Yeah, we've got we've got apprentices that are 20, 21 years old buying their own homes, and uh, you don't see a whole lot of a whole lot of college grads being able to purchase their own homes you know, in their 20s, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that uh, it's that's a damn shame. That's uh, the loss
3: of the middle class. Uh, we could talk about that for a long time and how how difficult it is uh, to get that kind of middle class entree into, you know, uh, just life. Right. I mean, uh, I don't want to sound like the old timer that I am at. But back in the day, you know, <laughs> there were a lot of middle class jobs that people could have in the city of Chicago, the bedrock of the city. Uh, and uh, so that's why I'm so supportive, of, like of
4: firefighters and police and teachers. Those are like bedrock middle class jobs. Sure, is yeah, that- the middle class is getting smaller, and uh, it seems though that people are getting wise to the fact that strikes actually work, um, and that that is a way to bring the middle class back within back within reach and bring back benefits and and things like that. You know, all back right. uh, in the in the Great Recession uh, in 2008, 2009, 2010, there were a lot of people we all know people who or a lot of us probably um, experienced it personally as well, where you had benefits that were taken away, uh, like matching for 401ks disappeared, or your uh, cost for your insurance went up, or you paid the same amount, but the coverage wasn't as good. And um, the economy got better, but a lot of those things never came back. The benefits never came back. So in some industries, that's where we've seen people going on strike um, to get those things back. And they've been doing so pretty successfully. All right. Let's talk about that. Uh, strikes actually work. What do you mean by that? Um, I mean, w- what we saw, for example, I'll use the, the General Motors strike that uh, that just wrapped up after the Great Recession. They did something. They implemented uh, what's called a two tier wage structure. So everybody who works here right now is going to be on this higher wage, higher benefit, um, you know, path. And anybody that we hire after today is going to start off, you know, a lot lower and like lesser benefits, et cetera. And there's no way to, there's no plan to like blend those two together, right? So if you are a like a higher tier employer, employee, it costs more money, you're making more money, um, and your benefits are higher. So the employer is generally going to find ways to fire or, um, eliminate jobs of those higher wage employees and replace them with newer, younger employees that are making, you know, half or 75% of the wages and benefits. So it's it's a terrible plan. It's something that we see all the time with employers, and it's just a non-starter in negotiations. You're you're essentially creating a low-wage workforce to, to compete against your own members. So one of the biggest things that was accomplished in the GM strike that just recently um, ended was they eliminated the two-tier wage structure. And I think within four years, anybody who's on the lower tier is going to work their way up um, into the higher tier. And I mean, I think some of those people make about $20 an hour, and the higher tier is around $40 an hour. So a lot of those lower tier workers are gonna find their way into you know doubling their pay over the next uh, four years. And it, um, I mean, you think about it, you're you're taking younger people who have different needs, different expenses, um, you know, and are living in a time or uh, young in a time when things cost more money and you're paying them half as much as the people who, who you hired 20 years ago. It's it's backwards. And that's the kind of thing that's going on in, in industry across America where people coming in and starting to work now are starting at wages lower than people who started, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And it's a it's It's a terrible deal for workers, mm-hmm. and people are 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 saying that's enough. um you know I, I forget what the Bank of America put out an estimate on the cost of the the g m strike. I think it was like two billion dollars um, so the workers had enough. they had a plan they their their union thought that they could get something done, and they went out and they did it. when you say the cost was two billion dollars you mean that was the cost of g m yeah, that was the gm cost of uh, of shutting down essentially. For the for the duration of the strike, two billion dollars. And so,
3: what, talk a month. They were out a month. Uh, how did they?
4: How did the union keep it together for a month? I mean, I think that the union has to has to know exactly or roughly what's achievable. You've got to manage the expectation of your members. Um, that's a very important thing. And your members have to understand what the goals are, what you're actually trying to accomplish. Um, because if that's not clearly communicated. It's tough to come back with a deal um, that's not met with. What about this? What about this? What about this? You've got to know what you're what you're out for, what your priorities are, and uh, and go after that. And then if you can get something that matches that or is close to that, then you've just got to uh, take it back to your members for a vote. So that managing
3: the expectations. All right. So like, uh, I I start I set you up that when you first walked in. Yeah. I saw you and I had that question because. They come to me. <laughs> like teachers go, Ben, you think this is a good deal? Like I get these phone calls from teachers I know. You know me, I, I haven't even read the fine print. And my first reaction when I start reading it is, oh my God, this is legalese gobbledygook mm-hmm. that a couple of lawyers cooked up. I, I don't even, not quite sure what it means. Uh, so how do you convince a person like me who's skeptical that this is actually a good deal or maybe it's not the best deal but you should
4: sign on it to anyway what do you how do you convince them of that so i'm a little bit soft on the final details of of what they uh what's being offered by the city and what the real intended um uh, intentions of the the union were what their actual you know um goals for for wages and things like that are but um, you bring people in and if they're unhappy with the amount of the raises you've just got to go back to what the goal was um what was actually achievable and then remind them that if this isn't a good enough deal the alternative is to continue the strike and if if it's truly the the last best final that the city had the strike can go on for quite a while um so when a when a sometimes an employer will come in with a final offer this is the best we're going to give you and the union knows that this is going to get shot down by the members you know it's like okay we'll we'll take this back and the strike's going to continue um but otherwise, I mean, the union is in there. It knows essentially what it's got to get, what it's got to achieve to get a majority of its uh, bargaining committee or its members to um, to approve it. So last night they had a vote, and uh, I think it was, I, I want to say it was roughly 60, 40, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere in that neighborhood um, that, uh, that the body voted to approve the deal, I think on the condition of uh, makeup days for all the days that they were on strike. So if you were, I mean, the Chicago Teachers Union is a pretty unique case because, um, you know, I, I've talked to you before about the decision to go on strike. A lot of folks who don't have experience with this will say, yeah, union will just go on strike for no reason. It's not really the case because you're talking about workers who are going without pay. They're forgoing their, their salaries, um, you know, taking money out of their household to fight for something bigger. And people won't just do that unless there's a very good reason to do so. So the fact that, um, that the Chicago Teachers Union is actually going to be able to make up um, the pay for half the days that they were out on strike, that's something that you certainly don't see very often. And in the construction setting, which is where Local 150 operates, um, no pun intended, that doesn't happen. You know, you don't get, you don't get paid for, for days that you're walking on a picket line. Um, and it's a unique situation. And again, I mean, CTU was, consider this, they were all in uh, against Lori Lightfoot for mayor. Laurie Lightfoot gets elected and they said, we got to have a contract or there's going to be a strike from an outsider's perspective. You might think that's not the strongest hand to play, but they went on strike. And from, from what I've seen, it appears that they've accomplished many of their goals and, and done some, some pretty interesting things with, uh, you know, creating a fund to address overcrowded classrooms. Um, you know, I, I went to a little Catholic school and, I remember I had the same class basically from kindergarten to, to eighth grade. and It was like 15 kids, you know, and uh, I've got a, a nine year old and she's in third grade. And these classes have been between, you know, 23, 25. It just seems like a big classroom. But I can't imagine what it's like to see a class that's got 35 kids, um, you know, and it, so. So trying to trying to go for a contract that pushes for not only things for the teachers themselves, but for the conditions of the students. You know, uh, I think that that's, uh, it shows an additional um, aspect of going on strike that's beneficial. You know, you can go on strike for wages and benefits and work rules and things like that, as you know, that's what's traditionally done. But um, over the last few years, we've seen uh, public employees and teachers going on strike for, um, you know, for things that are good for, uh, for the people. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in, I want to say it was West Virginia, maybe um, oh, yeah. the teachers went on strike. And they said that they wouldn't go back until there was a 5% increase for all public employees, all state employees. Um, so I mean, that kind of solidarity, people responded immediately, what? Mm-hmm. But they got it done. So the power the power of collective action, I mean, it's uh, it works. People still do it. I think they've forgot for a while, but um, there were almost a half a million American workers that went on strike in 2018. And that was more than any other year since 1986. So it was 32 years. Half a million went on strike in 2018. Only 25,000 were on strike in 2017. So in 2019, what are we going to be looking at at the end of the year? We've had CTU, we had UAW, we had the LA teachers, we had that stop and shop, the grocery strike out in Boston, all of which have been successful. I think there's the Mack truck um, employees are out on strike as well, or they may have wrapped up their strike. But this stuff works and people are remembering. You know, America's getting back to um, the roots of, saying enough is enough. And I mean, unemployment is low, so people have options. Workers are quitting their jobs. Ten years ago, nobody was quitting their jobs. Yeah. They were taking pay cuts and taking benefit cuts and saying, "You know, thank you, sir. May I have another?" <laughs> Unfortunately, that yeah. was that was the situation, and and, and businesses took advantage. They what did, movie is that from? It's Animal, Animal House. House. Yeah, on, right. <laughs> I just thank you, sir. Man, <laughs> in the initiation, that might be the best acting Kevin Bacon's ever done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was pretty good in that movie, The
3: Flashdance. But anyway, let's not get it cool, man. Uh, <laughs> no. hey, wait, hold on. Got my cool shades all right on the head. keep those uh, all all right. right. on cool. take them off. Uh, so uh, so what lessons when you, what lessons do you think local unions are taking? I mean you guys are studying this teacher strike you're not just some disinterested observer. It's like you're looking at what they did, how it went down, how it played in the media, uh, how it played in the streets
4: and the end result. what kind of lessons are you drawing from it? I mean, I think it's a it's a good reminder just to to workers that a lot of times uh, people who are not in a union, if they wanted to complain about their wages, they could complain. If they're one of 10 people in a department, they can go complain to their boss about their wages and say they're not going to continue to work for those wages. And maybe they just get fired or let go or, or replaced over time or whatever. But... If uh, if people stand together, the power of people doing anything collectively uh, is exponentially higher. So I think that workers see this from the outside and are remembering that unions are for something. Even though kids aren't in coal mines anymore and we have, you know, weekends in America, unions still serve a very, very vital role. And uh, I think that these strikes are over time. The, the reason they continue to happen is because people see them and people who are in unions are starting to say, well, okay, if we can't get that, why don't we just go on strike? Mm. You know, maybe we can, maybe we can uh, get a fair, a fair shake here. What's your sense of how the public, the larger public, views it? So, union favorability is actually at its highest since oh, I want to say, um, oh, I can't remember, I can't remember what year, but I think it's it's at like an almost twenty-year high. Um, the favorability of unions is, has been growing over the last well since the Great Recession. Usually times of high unemployment correlate with people not being so favorable toward unions. In addition, in Illinois, we had a, a political situation where they were blaming the entire recession on teachers and public employees and things like that. There's a lot of rhetoric that went, went along with it. but younger people are very uh, favorable toward unions, both Democrat and Republican. Um, you know because again, these are these are, people that are getting out of college and realizing they have $100,000 in debt to pay off and no good paying job with which to do it or no job at all in a lot of cases. They're going and uh, you know making coffee and doing things that don't require a college degree. So people are coming out of college right now and it's not hard to get a college loan, you know what I mean? <laughs> if you wanna go to college for anything, you're, you're a, a 17 or 18 year old kid saying, yeah, give me $100,000 to go to college, where do I sign? Um, and you get out and you realize this is not really a, this is not a good deal. Um, so I think people are, people are supportive of that. Um, but no, I, I, I think that union favorability, we talked about it the last time I was in here, um, across the general spectrum of the public. I want to say that it's like 63% of the public supports unions. And the majority of, uh, respondents to this poll, um, also said that they think unions unions should have more influence. Uh, it's funny. We, we've we had this gag going on for a while uh, where
3: we, there's a bit where Jesse Sharkey, the head of the Chicago Teachers Union, he, he would be taking to doing uh, uh, on-street interviews, press conferences. So we'd go to different schools where the, the teachers were on strike. So he would be standing on a street corner uh, outside a school surrounded by teachers in red. Uh, by the way, notice the red hat. Uh, mm-hmm. Until the strike's over, I wore the red hat. Uh, and, uh, and, and they'd be waving their signs. And he'd be talking to the reporters who would all dutifully follow him there. And you got it, D. You got it. I um r- right now um <laughs> in other words, the honking horn, oh, yeah. you, you know, argh, you know, uh, it was a gag, it, and it just on that surface. And we had a teacher in here yesterday who was saying it's not all honking horns. That there was this guy uh, uh, who was repeatedly drove by the school when he, I guess, he was going on his way to work, two middle uh, fingers up to let him know what he thought. Of course he was driving like some fancy sports car or something like that um but my guess is that most of the people in the city of chicago supported the strike and by the way it wasn't just the teachers i should also say uh, there was the uh it was the striking um bus aides etc and mm-hmm. so forth that ciu local 73 janitors right. etc uh, but it seemed to me most people in the city
4: seemed to be on the side of the strikers do you, you agree with that yeah i think so i mean i I'm, I'm glad that they reached a resolution today over the uh over the ba- the the makeup days you know i think that with a larger deal in place um if that had stretched out over makeup days that could have gotten that could have gotten a little bit dicey if kids weren't getting back into the classrooms but you know i i know that last night uh, mayor lightfoot said that that was a non-starter it was going to be zero makeup days and the union said that they were accepting the deal Based on getting ten makeup days for the ten days they were on strike. Um, but again, I think at the end of the day, uh, Mayor Lightfoot just said, I think we got to get the kids back in the classroom. let's let's uh, split the baby here and call it five days. and i'm I'm happy that both sides, appear to have reached that deal that's good news i i'm happy to uh i
3: like to i'm getting giving myself credit for that i didn't even know they cut the deal when i heard it was 10 to zero i go come on five right in the middle you cut a deal Garza said on the show not everybody's going to be happy ben uh when it comes to uh the end of a uh, contract negotiation.
4: If one side is no. really happy, it's not a really good situation. Yeah, the best deal is when both sides are kind of a little bit uh, uh, muttering, a little bit That's usually when you get the most the most fair deal. Yeah, I'm usually the guy in the back of the hall that was muttering, and the yeah.
3: Ed Meyers going, "Ah, get over it." Well, u-
4: unions. I mean, if if uh, <laughs> if unions made out like absolute bandits in their negotiations and in their uh, like going on strike, it wouldn't be good for businesses and at the end of the day especially in a construction setting we want our contractors to be successful because they employ our members so any we've got to add value to the industry we need them to be able to be competitive one of the best ways that we do that is by training workers through our apprenticeship program again that's local 150.org apply but um when, if we want them to, to pay these wage increases and for these, these great benefits that people in other parts of the country simply don't have anything close to, we've got to be worth it. We've got to be the best operating engineers or electricians or plumbers that a contractor can find and make it so that if somebody drives up from Alabama or Texas or whatever and offers to do it for 10 bucks an hour cash, no benefits, that it's a better deal to pay a union worker a lot more money. So, um you know, you, you you can't have one side making out too well over the other side. It's just it's not good for the sustainability of the industry, whatever industry that is. Uh, amen to that.
3: All right. Let's uh, shift gears a little bit. I uh, gave you an assignment when you came in uh, to think about this. This has been on my mind. Pretty much everybody in the who comes in here have asked about it. Uh, I We use Facebook all the time mm-hmm. to promote Articles, shows, what have you. Uh, I feel uh, I I don't like doing it, and I'm just going to confess it. I feel like I'm held captive. Uh, it's it's like a pirate's market that's controlled. Uh, as my old friend, my Norm would say, it's like. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is like a gangster, man. He's got you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the whole issue, which has been uh, in the news these days, was that there was a hearing in Congress about it last week. AOC, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, uh, was really going zeroing in on Mark Zuckerberg. The issue uh, of Facebook taking and promote, putting lies on uh, on Facebook, allowing lies, po- political ads as lies. It could also be anti-union ads, yeah, for that issue-based Issue-based ads. So,
4: what's your general thought on this? I mean, this is a tricky situation. Uh, it, it really is. I mean, I've heard, a, I've listened to a lot of podcasts where you hear, you know, guys like Jack Dorsey from Twitter talk about the procedures that are um, that are in place to to try to take negative things or untrue things off of social media. But in, in, unless you have a workforce of people that are fact checking and really examining every group, every post. Every ad, um, you're not going to be able to take misinformation out of social media, and it's a that's a huge problem. I mean, that is a huge problem. Um, so, what Twitter did, where they said that they weren't going to do uh, political advertising anymore, I mean, that's got to take a big bite out of their bottom line. But I think, I mean, unfortunately, this this thing has gotten so big and so complex. That uh, for the sake of the public good, I, I, I applaud that move. And I'm yesterday when I heard it, I just kind of found myself wondering if Facebook would uh, would then be in a position to maybe do so. I mean, Facebook, I can't imagine what their ad revenue is for political advertising. It's got to be enormous, but um, there's not really a way to ensure that that it's even close to factual. I mean, the, the percentage of factual versus non factual as. Um, was it elizabeth warren who put out the put the ad up yeah elizabeth warren i mean that just showed there's nothing being done unless somebody is smart enough to know that it's nonsense and complains then maybe something gets done but what if it's really slick and people don't know enough about an issue to know that it's nonsense and they just get educated on something that's not real i mean that's how um that's how you make make issues out of things that don't exist you know ask russia ask the republican party Uh, they've been doing this for for decades and facebook's made it a lot easier to do so so i mean it's a huge problem and if you get rid of political ads or issue ads on facebook people who want to do this will find another way but i mean this this um the social media misinformation stuff is out of control and it's bad for our society well, I have a solution. I, you know, I'm, I'm full of
3: solutions today. I, I walked into the studio today and I heard it was 10. The teachers wanted 10 days. Mayor Leifert said zero. I said, go five. And, the, and they, and an hour later, the deal was cut. Uh, so here's my solution. You're absolutely correct. Uh, if Facebook is going to uh, have to be a zone where people can get factual information, you need to hire people who know a little bit about... Separating fact from fiction. And that requires hiring employees, editorial writers, uh, editors, editorial graduates, I was going to say, and make them union members, give good jobs with good benefits. So, okay, maybe Mark Zuckerberg doesn't make $10 billion this year. You know what I mean? Maybe he has to spread it around with the person who fact checks the ad. But they have a little greater sense that it's factual, and they're not contributing to the utter ignorance of America.
4: I'll say the amount of fact-checkers it would take to actually make it effective, you could eliminate unemployment. <laughs> and you'd probably start pulling in immigrants from uh, from outside the country as well to give them jobs, because it would. I can't imagine the amount of people that it would take to actually effectively do this. We may then have a, an apprenticeship program uh, in the journalism like uh, you have
3: uh, with your union. One more time before you go, give yeah. folks the information they need uh, about the apprenticeship program
4: yeah come uh, check out local 150 you can learn to operate heavy construction equipment fix it uh or uh you know test construction materials you can go to local150.org slash apply. Uh, we're accepting applications or distributing applications throughout the month of November. Um, all the details, requirements, et cetera, and dates where you can come and get an application are on that website, local150.org apply. All right, pretty good, Ed. And by Ed. the way, Ed.
2: oh, I was going to say that's an adorable costume you got there, Ed. What are you, blue shirt, khaki guy?
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I've got cargo pants on, so I'm oh. dressing like Ed from uh, 2003.
2: Okay, Ed from <laughs>
4: 2003. It's adorable. You got but some got candy here. I've got a lot here. of pocket space for uh, a couple extra oh. pieces. <laughs> I going to say,
2: I'll give you a Reese's, uh Kit Kat, and an Almond Joy. My man. All right. Nice you can the Almond joy.
4: Yeah, I don't yeah. know
3: who you think i Oh, uh, I love them. Uh, and right, I'll, I'll just give you them. your assignment for the next time you come in. I think the Irishman will be out by then, which is Martin Scorsese's new yeah. movie. It's supposed to be excellent. Uh, and it's got some Jimmy Hoffa stuff in it. I'd be I'm obsessed. That's a minor obsession. I don't think we've ever discussed on the air. So maybe uh, I'll make you watch it, and we could talk about it. What happened to Jimmy Hoffa? Talk about what he did with the Teamsters. Uh, you say what you will about
4: Jimmy Hoffa, but the man knew how to build a union. If the movie's as good as the book, I heard you paint houses. then yeah. uh, I think everybody's in for a treat. So have, I'm, have I'm you read the book? About it. Yeah, it was a great book. I read it, uh, you know, ten years ago when it came out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, man. who knows if it's all true or not? But it, it, it was a hell of a read. Yeah, no, it is. a craft
3: You're the only person, ever the person in the world I've ever met who read the book. Yeah, I. Uh, I I about do sometimes hit, right? read. No, but I mean that particular book. Anyway, <laughs> words uh,
4: on paper, uh, right? It's a good thing. It is
3: a good thing. <laughs> Ed Maher yeah. uh, speaking up for editorial uh, people everywhere. Words on paper, it's a good thing. Thank you so much, Ed. Uh, we have uh, Tony Mac- Macaluso standing on deck. We're going to bring him on when we return. Right.
1: Jesse, what are your thoughts on the editorial that says overplayed
3: I mean. The Tribune has been terrible on every question. Around, you know, they, you know, they basically. Um, taken an anti-CTU position for the last 25 years and I don't see why they should stop now. Um, It doesn't have much credibility with me what the Tribune says. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground.
4: It's the world famous Admiral Theater. 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city.
3: 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club. The
2: Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of Adult Entertainment Shows, the world famous Admiral Theater. Open every day from 7 p.m. to six AM, thirty-nine forty West Lawrence Avenue. For
3: events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years
4: of age or older to enter. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground.
2: Hey, it's football season, guys. Which means that the best sports reporters in Chicago want to offer you, yes, you, the listener, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all. Of the stories you love. That's A L L, all of the stories that you love. The Sun Times has always been your go to source for sports. That Sports Saturday is real cool. And now the Chicago Sun Times is a proud partner of the Chicago Bears. Don't worry, Ben, I'll take care of it. Ready, set, 2020, hut, hut. Don't miss a game this season. Get all the big plays, scores, and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet, only $29.99 for a full year of all of the news and sports that you need to know. $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. You can't do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. That's suntimes.com forward slash B. E N, welcome back to the B E N Jarowski Show, live from the <laughs> Chicago Sun Times.
3: Uh, yes, we are live uh, at Tone. You know, every Chicago podcast needs a correspondent in London. And uh, we have one.
2: Yes, he, I've
0: got. I've got slightly sad news for you. I'm actually in the north of England, in Yorkshire, in the working class oh. town of Leeds, up you, near Manchester, Liverpool. You, so, oh my God, worlds I, apart in terms you, of culture. That's. I,
3: I never <laughs> leave the city of Chicago. So to me, it's
0: just London. But yeah. you're right.
3: It's there's a whole country there, out, uh, not just London.
0: And by the way, Tony, every time you come on the show, you get more of a British accent. Oh no, hello, mate. A New Yorkshire accent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, my son is 11, so we're really. Waiting to see what's going to happen to him if we stay there for a few years. Is he does? How many years has he been living there? A year and a half. And is he just, hello,
3: Dad? <laughs> is he speaking with a breath. <laughs> He's fighting it. Right He's out. fighting it. Yeah, uh, do you have sure. an update before I bring Tony
2: on? Um, well, I'm just going to hit refresh here. Uh, as everybody knows, here as the show was going on today, looks like the CTU in the city of Chicago have reached a deal. Classes will resume on Friday, and no updates on that. So. Find us on Facebook at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Give us a like, follow, share, review, whatever you want to do. Back to you, Ben.
3: All right, Tony McAlusso, I've been saying all along you're uh,
0: with the Studs Turkle Archive. Uh, Is that a correct way to identify you? These days, I am the visiting scholar with the Chicago History Museum, Studs Turkle Center for Oral History, which they own Studs Archive, the museum. So That's correct. Thank you, Robert So, all right.
3: I know this sounds bizarre, but, uh, you know, there's some youngsters out there who may not know yeah. who Studs Terkel is. So uh, explain Studs Terkel to millennials.
0: Okay. This is 30 seconds, 45 seconds. How about okay. Studs Terkel in 45 seconds? Well, first off, the guy was born the year the Titanic went down and he died three days before Barack Obama was elected, lived to be 96 years old was still is i think walking around chicago to me the embodiment of everything that i love about chicago the born storyteller had a radio show for 45 years had a tv show and wrote 14 oral history books that basically put the idea of oral history on the map and listening talking to common ordinary working people and he's as i have found as i have traveled outside of chicago and outside of the, the united states He's beloved in England. He's beloved in France. They know him in China. There's a whole series of Chinese history books inspired by studs that came out starting in the 80s. So being out in the world, having studs as as one of the uh, emblems of Chicago is, to me, has been incredibly fun, especially in this madcap era of of Brexit and, and British politics, which are giving US politics a run for the money these days. Well, you, we'll talk
3: about Brexit for, uh, in a little bit, but let's talk about Studs a little mm-hmm. more. Uh, Studs Turkels, yeah, he, uh, for years and years, had a show at WFMT here in Chicago, and interview people, and that, uh, those interviews, how many years of interviews, about 30 years of interviews? Or 45, 45 years. 1952 to 1997. So they go back to 52, yep. the interviews in the archive. Uh, so the thing about Studs, he was a great listener, you know, so he'd ask a question and he could really, yeah, he, he had that art of listening to what somebody said and then would respond, uh, you know, in real time
0: uh, to, to what they said, you know, it was like an
3: exchange. Well,
0: and he was also a theater guy. I mean, he started off doing theater, radio dramas, had a TV show. So he did this thing of mixing theater and journalism, which in a lot of ways, if you go to a journalism school, right? Journalism, and theater, pretty antithetical. How do they fit together? We've seen a lot of bad examples of that. But to me, Studs embodies how you can bring this theatricality of performing, being in the moment. You know, listening is a, you got to perform it in different ways and react and sigh and laugh and cackle. Light cigars in the studio. You can't do that anymore. But a lot of, a lot of cigars being lit. Wait, so you, did you have, how
3: many of Studs Turkle interviews did you witness?
0: Not very, no, I came to WFMT after he had left, so... So I've, I've. They. So you never saw the
3: the cigars being
0: lit. No, no. But you hear them. I mean, you hear them on the tapes. So, yeah, there's fifty six hundred of them. So,
3: damn, fifty six hundred. That's a lot of cigars he's smoking. Well,
0: interviews. Yeah, probably sometimes more than one cigar per interview.
3: When, when you think about what we've just been through here in the, the city of Chicago, a teacher strike that went on for ten days. Mm. Um, can you think of any studs Turkel interviews that would be really appropriate? Uh, interviews he did with either labor leaders or educators or
0: activists. Yeah, well, there's loads with public school teachers and it's interesting, you can hear, one of the things I love to do is just jump through the archive across several decades and hear how the same issues, how does the conversation change or stay the same? Um, But in terms of something like the strike, you can't go worse than going back to uh, um, oh, the the great Saul Linsky, labor activist. He and Studs had a couple of shows early on where Saul Linsky sort of opens up the process that he tried to use in the way of using humor and, and, and again, theater, unexpected tactics as part of, uh, part of labor movements. Those things are master classes in and of themselves.
3: Did he ever do an interview that uh, with Abby Hoffman? Yes. Yes. Abby Hoffman, of just, again, for our youngsters was an mm. anti-war activist. I'm thinking of him a lot lately. Mm. He died in 89. Uh, I pointed this out the other day, Tony, uh, d- d- uh abby hoffman's widow just sold the abby hoffman archives in university of texas there's an article in the newspaper about this the great uh, anti-war activist yippie hippie uh, abby hoffman who used humor and uh, irony and sarcasm etc all the time uh to make his political points to mock the powers that be, etc. Et
0: well, that's really interesting. Well, the, the guy who is archiving studs house, which is a saga into itself, a guy named Adrian Marin, who's a welder and archivist, but he's Abby's uh, godson. So he's been spending the last five years. He f- comes back and forth between New York and Chicago a couple of weeks every month and has uh, been pouring through the, 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 the palace, the mountain of documents that studs and his wife, Ida left behind. So Adrian a good guy to have him show. God, I'm he can bridge right the gap now. between Abby and, uh, Abby and Studs and the Grateful Dead. He worked on their archives too. So oh my I'll God! Pass I'll him along.
3: definitely pass that. It'd be great to have him on. He's good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. So, have you heard the uh, Abbey Hoffman interview? Was that one that you heard?
0: Only part of it's digitized yet. So all the tapes are at the Library of Congress because they're on big old reel to reels. And if you don't bake them carefully for about forty eight hours, the chemicals peel off and the voices are lost forever. So. I think last as so the last count I heard from Alice and the Archivist, about two thirds I think are digitized. So there's only a part of the Abbey one that's in another show, but the full one hasn't appeared yet on the website, but coming soon.
3: No, wait, time out. So are, are these tapes in danger of falling apart and disintegrating?
0: If they weren't being processed in the right way, but now they're in the hands of the Library of Congress, who are, you know, they so they're in a they're actually inside of a mountain in Virginia, about an hour south of Washington D.C in a climate-controlled environment that was once a a Cold War era um, anti-nuclear storage facility for currency so studs tapes are if there was a nuclear war studs tapes would, would survive we would all be gone <laughs> but studs tapes would still be there it would be cockroaches and studs
3: tape yeah the, that's, not,
0: that's an interesting yeah
3: yeah uh and the uh, we could listen to the abby hoffman tape if there are any of us uh around to hear it d you got a uh, a tape of studs that uh
2: tony kicked your way absolutely which one would you uh want me to play uh, here studs, the in a pub?
0: studs in a pub so studs traveled around the world a lot with his portable tape recorder and he went to England. England quite a bit, and now that I'm living in England, this is what studs found in a pub in 1962.
5: We, we thank you. We went along with Mr. and Mrs. Lawrence. We're at uh, their pub right now, and I didn't realize that the Midlands of England. Is this close to London? Only two and a half hours from London, I was wondering. I'm seated here next to the good people of the community who are drinking stout. May I have a sip of that, ma'am? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Just a sip.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Now, lady, thank you very much for the sip. It's
5: nice, isn't I like it. What, what <laughs> do you do, ma'am? I mean, here. I mean, at the moment you're enjoying yourself, but I mean as far as livelihood or...? I just stay home, look after myself. You stay, look after yourself? Uh, Well, (laughs) when you were a very young girl, what kind of work did you do? Farm work, was it? Yes, partly, shop work, and that was it.
3: (laughs) I don't know. There's something about that little exchange that just tickles my fantasy. Well, panties. just imagine
0: it goes on for an hour and a half as everyone gets in, has increasingly more stat. stout. <laughs> so things get things they start, there's a sing-along later on, and uh, I think Studs even sings briefly, which is you know, one of the only, the only times I've ever heard Studs sing. Oh,
3: they make me sing. He makes me sing every day on this show. Oh, what's the song of the day again? <laughs> uh, today, the Monster Mash? Yeah. Uh, no, it was also a um, love poem. I- are you old enough to know the song Love Potion number nine? Yeah, yes. Uh, feel free to sing it. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Show them how it's done, Benny J. Uh, I can't remember how it goes. Love Potion number, number nine. nine. I remember that bit. <laughs> did the drum there uh, to avoid <laughs> singing. Um, but the, the by the way, the, the woman in that it was I, the reason I started laughing is she sounded like someone out of Monty Python. Mm. You know, I just thought it was John Cleese or someone whoever imitates uh, a woman in Monty Python. Uh, but that a studs Turco, that's quintessential studs. Yeah, I'll have some stout. Oh, this is good, and it uh, just sort of warms people up and gets them talking. Uh, and what's the other one you got?
2: Like I got here, Studs Turkle uh, at a rugby match between England and Wales. Oh, check this one. All right, Studs doing sports. So
0: I think this is also 1962. Studs is pretty good on
2: baseball, but that's beyond
0: baseball, he gets on Although kind of, of shaky ground. Studs
3: did not know anything about sports, but okay,
5: uh, baseball. So we're just talking here. We're walking down a road with my friend Dave Thompson of Penguin, and we met some, I think, members of the Welsh contingent. This is the big match, isn't it? Yeah. Wales versus England. Yeah. At Twickenham. Did you come from Wales? Yeah. Where from? From the valley. Where? From the valley. valley. Let's talk about about the rugby and the match. The feeling you have right now about about uh, rugby. I know nothing about the game. <laughs> I know the 15. not you giving sort of an answer? All of us are uh, talk. You know, walking guy. on. You know. <laughs> oh well. Uh, I know we're going to win as all, again, eh? <laughs> <laughs> holds in it right there
2: oh my god that that's awesome. hilarious
3: man but man come on studs did not know sports you know and it's, he has got his baseball he was in eight men out yes he was in eight men Mar- <laughs> Fullerton. yes he played ring lardner is that right no he didn't play he, who, hugh, Full- hugh fullerton yeah because uh, john, john sales was ring, ring lardner right yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. right good memory uh but no i i didn't mean i can't pretend to know studs well but i i've met him a few times and it's just i there's some people who know sports, yeah. you know what I'm saying, Tony, and could just immediately have a conversation with you about sports and understand and appreciate. But just the way he started that, I was laughing because he knew nothing about rugby. Oh, yeah. He was, well, tell me a little bit something about rugby. And the, and the rugby guy... What the
0: hell? Well, in that interview, too, it's, it's been about an hour, and again, there's drinking involved at the rugby stadium, and it's in the stadium, and Studs continues to try to interview everybody while they're watching the rugby match, and get them to explain the politics of Welsh-English rivalry, you know, going back to the year 1200, uh, and he doesn't, doesn't get a very coherent description, but you get, you get a feel for what's, what's under the surface between the Welsh and, and, and the English which has been there for years and
3: years. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with Tony. We're going to get an update on what's going on with Brexit. He's our correspondent in uh, England, not London, in England. He's going to give us a Brexit update. He's also going to tell us what people in England think about uh, the United States, the politics here with President Trump and the impeachment, and maybe even the city of Chicago and his teacher strike. We'll be right back after this.
2: All right, podcast fans. I'm assuming that's you you're listening to a podcast. Am I right? The Sun-Times political web series, The Fran Spielman Show, is now available as a podcast. The Fran Spielman Show features weekly interviews with lawmakers, journalists, and others who are shaping our city. Guys, Fran. She holds nothing back. She goes deep into City Hall to bring you the real scoop on Chicago politics. And right now, that's N-O-W now. You can listen to her show on all of your favorite podcast apps, just like this show. Head to City Hall with Fran and get even more great political coverage from the Chicago Sun Times. Listen and subscribe now at SunTimes.com forward slash Fran hyphen show. That's SunTimes.com forward slash fran f-r-a-n hyphen show welcome back to the ben Jarofsky, s-h-o-w <laughs> live from the chicago uh, sun times
3: uh, tony macaluso in the studio uh, studs turkle archivist let's uh, move from studs turkle and talk about what's going on in your new home of uh england uh with brexit you know following it from afar i i, I just i mean every now and i, I probably read it, maybe an article every other week about brexit and it just seems as though uh, the the good people of england made a decision two and a half or three and a half years ago whenever it was that they're probably regretting to this day uh, and that is to leave the european union so what's going on give us the update on this all right
0: well a little quick version some context first just to get a sense of where i'm at so uh, these days, I'm over in, in Leeds again in Yorkshire, and I help run a radio station, art center, school. We teach kids how to make radio shows and podcasts, young people, adults too. So it's a working class city, Leeds, industrial. One of the places mills were invented, you know, the Blake, dark, satanic mills kind of thing. Um, like Liverpool, Manchester. So north of England, first of all, feels pretty cut off from London in a lot of ways. It's a big city, it's the third biggest city in England. Um, so three and a half years ago, as you say, this referendum in the summer of uh, 2016 52% voted leave 48% voted remain in the EU uh, split often Leeds was the 50 50 city exactly split down the middle. So it gets pointed to now as the Ohio or the Pennsylvania, right. Of the, of the Brexit vote. So kind of case study situation. But the bizarre thing that I didn't really realize before being over there is that it's not really, it's not a clear left, right kind of divide. I mean, the, One of the great ironies is Theresa May, who had been prime minister up until a few months ago, actually voted to remain. But she became the undertaker trying to to execute the leave. Boris Johnson, who's now in. uh, Well, that's a bigger story. But the Labour Party, the traditional bastion of the left, now run by Jeremy Corbyn. They're actually, well, they're split down the middle. But Jeremy Corbyn actually wants to leave, the leader of the Labour Party. So um, playing it very, very... Uh, middle of the road balancing out, but in many parts, especially working class areas and certainly Leeds and East Leeds where, where I spend my time uh, working with kids and adults. Uh, these are kids, grandkids of coal miners who were who were sacked by by Thatcher in the eighties. And those are parts of Leeds that, that are 75, 80 percent lead, even though they're bastions of strong left wing traditional Labour Party areas. So it gets it's deeply confusing. Um, and I have to say that uh, when I was in Chicago six months ago, was that was going to be Brexit day number one, March 31st. It got delayed six months later. Here we are, Halloween, October 31st. Uh, it was also supposed to be Brexit day number two. So it's been pushed back now till January 31st, but they're going to have an election between now and then two weeks before Christmas, just to to stir things up a little further, so. All
3: right, now let's uh, break down two things you said, delay and the 75% uh, support for leaving that in the leads in your neck of the woods. First, let's start with, why do people
0: want to leave? Hmm. Well, it's interesting, Boris Johnson, now his prime minister, going back 20 years, was a journalist, and he, of all the journalists working for the tabloid papers out of London, uh, was a uh, correspondent in, in Europe in Brussels, and he was the king, the the spinmeister of coming up, concocting these absurd stories to make people in 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 the UK fear and see the European Union as this bloated bureaucratic. Monster, you know, famous stories about how the European Union was, was going to, you know, regulate the size of condoms and things like that, based on you know, and stories that got huge press and uh, for years and years built up a sense that that the proud independent British spirit was going to be squelched by by this. But the other thing that I really feel now, having been there for a year, more than a year, two things, um, the. Uh, how deeply people still cling on to the Second World War and the fact that the British won the war with a bit of help from the Russians and others. Um, <laughs> and that somehow the European yeah. Union is this triumph of Germany in particular, 50, 60 years later, sort of enslaving the independentness of of England. And England also, I really feel too, to a degree that I never would have expected before being there, in some ways has not gotten over the fact that they they lost their empire 70 years ago and it still sort of stings and leaves them a bit reeling and and confused about their identity in the world and i think that all flows into it in ways that cut deep down into people's psyches and you know that's where it cuts across the political divides in ways that are that that are tricky to unfold
3: it is a little difficult to unfold because you're right it's uh uh, boris johnson that's he emerged on this issue to a large degree, and now you have Jeremy Corbyn signing on to the issue. He was not an early supporter of of,
0: of leaving, was he? Jeremy Corbyn's kind of kept kept his views on it sort of under the table, but yeah. but there's yeah. So and it's and 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 there's you know it's a tricky thing. The people in London, which is you know the New York, right, the Manhattan, the financial capital, is the place that's most in favor of remaining. Uh, for various reasons, different reasons. I think there are reasons that people want to remain that are much more about, you know, visions for the human race and the future and the fact that the European Union was created to try to prevent the kinds of wars that tore Europe apart twice in the 20th century. But that's all kind of gotten pushed into the background.
3: So, all right, so now... I I'm starting to get a sense of, you know, who's for it, who's against it, and why, and uh, why is there a delay? What are the issues that are keeping them from, what, following what the people said they wanted them to do three and a half years ago?
0: Well, this this is where it gets even more interesting, and I'm reading some books on the, the English Civil War and things like that. You start getting into Ireland, Scotland, Wales, as we just heard with studs, and these first Areas that the the Normans and the British now, what we think of as the British, colonized and conquered, and the crux of it, the issue that again and again has caused it all to just fall apart, is Ireland, Northern Ireland, and the Irish Republic, and what it's going to mean if if you have to put a border and customs between Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic, so that you know a pizza maker who buys cheese from this town, if it's in the Irish Republic, and it has to be shipped across to Northern Ireland, would have to pay it tariffs to import the cheese and then if they deliver the pizza back to that town across the road they have to pay a second tariff. I mean essentially having a full on border between Europe and non Europe cutting through the middle of the island of Ireland. And that of course unleashes all the stuff that, you know, had just gotten started out with the Good Friday agreements twenty years ago, which Starting to hear more and more news that you know there's starting to be a paramilitary presence again in in places like Belfast that that if things really go awry could you know you could see Ireland again, you know especially Belfast and Northern Ireland and the Irish you know the IRA and the uh, the uh, DUP, which is the Northern Ireland uh, uh, Union Party. so it's
3: just the the details are so complicated and involved, so many long standing unresolved uh disputes rivalries hostilities that they don't have a there's not a straightforward way to pave it over
0: yeah and and i think a lot of in this you know we were just talking about facebook and fake ads and, and in this era of so so many flies have been fed into the process over the 3 years and in the years leading up to it that now wading through that giant pile of of falsehoods that have been floating around in social media i think everybody is just has a massive case of vertigo in many cases. I mean, I find people who, who study this stuff much more deeply than I, you know, academics who I know and things who have really struggled to, to st- pull these things apart so given that you helped solve the teachers union agreement making the 10 the 0 to 10 to 5 <laughs> and had a solution for the facebook ads so yeah. if you got any ideas for brexit i, I'm happy I don't to, to bring i them back have home. to study
3: it uh, <laughs> I, I have to study a little listen i have the perfect solution to the facebook thing it just requires yeah. hiring journalists and uh now you got me on my favorite thing but mm. mark zuckerberg just wants to take advantage of of journalists. So he just wants to take the work that journalists do that somebody else pays them to do and sell ads against it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to actually have to pay journalists to do work. So I got the perfect solution for him. He's just got to dig into that wallet of his and pay some journalists to edit the propaganda that politicians put on his his wall and stop complaining about it and man it up and pay the money. So I've resolved that one. Well I'll
0: go out on the limb and say that I think a lot of the problems with Brexit, and I'm biased on this cause i 'cause I'm I'm a journalism nut and I've loved papers and so forth, is is again the lack of good journalism. And part of it is, you know, the BBC, which is for you know, for decades has been seen as this kind of pillar, this model of state funded journalism. But the BBC has been really taken to task for being too timid around Brexit because they not wanting to offend the Tories and and the right wing and the various uh, parties in favor of Brexit because they've historically been accused a bit like national public radio and public television here of being biased to the left. And so they've overcompensated in many ways. And I have to say, watching the news, watching and listening to the BBC, I found it maddening how um, poorly they seem to explain what the issues of Brexit uh, are and were. And more and more, you really hear people making the critique that the BBC has massively failed to educate, and leading up to the referendum especially, what the consequences might have been. I will recommend uh, the Guardian newspaper for people here who want to dig into Brexit, which, you, which is free online, too. They're one of the few papers that have managed to, to build a, a donation model that's really been successful mm-hmm. and good, generally speaking, pretty solid journalists, so all right check that one out
3: yeah i uh they're playing the refs uh in england just the way they're doing it here in the united states the the right has been very successful at this i see out here with the teachers union uh the teacher strike you know you complain uh, so much about uh the left the supposed left bias of the press that the press bends over backwards uh to show they don't have a bias and so they end up
0: having a bias for the right yeah uh, and that's that's seems really clear in the case of brexit that especially especially before the vote because no one thought it was going to win people it was, it was a bit like the presidential election here in 2016 people thought for sure it's never going to win maybe yeah, it might yeah. be. It might be 55, 45, but it'll be a comfortable enough margin. So it was a real lack of diligence, I think, on the part of the press.
3: What analogy would you give uh, to what's going on in this country that get people to understand what Brexit is? I mean, would it be the election of Donald Trump or what political analogy would you have that really would uh, illuminate what
0: Brexit's all about? Yeah, I think it's also related to the election of Trump. Let's say maybe it's an, it's an idea that somehow you can go back to some fantasized version of the past and that somehow you can reclaim that whether it's a white picket fence in a homogenous town in American society or some kind of again glory of you know the British Empire at its height a hundred years ago and before the outside world somehow according to the to one view I think contaminated a certain purity of British culture and I think there's some of that definitely underlying Brexit. In both cases, there's a there's a nostalgia for something that really never quite existed, and when it, when it did exist, it was certainly not not the mythological, the Downton Abbey version of of England of you know, uh, <laughs> that that, yeah. that I find really. Did you watch Downton Abbey? No, I've never seen it, and, <laughs> no, and I've, I, I, I'm, I've always found it perplexing that you know we fought a revolution to yeah. to escape the tyranny of the king and the aristocracy, and yet you know public television is sometimes quite full of this this British sort of royalty porn almost.
3: Yes, no, it's a good way royalty porn. I, not only have I never watched it, until about two months ago, I thought it was Downtown Abbey. I,
0: I used to think that too, yeah, which would be a little more interesting. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> Downtown Abbey. Uh, all right, so now let me ask you this. What's the view of
0: Chicago uh, from uh, England? Okay, this it fits, it splits into a few really different categories. So if you meet people, say, over the age of 40, uh, and they have any inclination around music and so forth. They just want to start talking about the blues and muddy waters and jazz and jazz scene and Louis Armstrong. A massive interest in that, especially in the north. That was Big Bill Brunsey who was a palace stud, spent a lot of time touring around the north of England, and that's kind of helped kickstart what eventually led to rock and roll. First it was skiffle and then rock and roll. So people who know that history absolutely see Chicago as the place that sort of fed in in a key way to to this music renaissance in England, which is great fun to talk about because it's the side of Chicago that I know and love. Um, But then the other end of the spectrum, I was teaching a bunch of 13, 14 year olds when I first came to this radio station and one of them raised their hand and said, I just got there, they said, you're not from around here, are you? Based on my accent. And I said, no, where where do you think I'm from? And first guess was Ireland? No, but, uh, <laughs> but interesting in a way. When you yeah. know Chicago, then it was Scotland, then it was Scandinavia, then it was Switzerland. They were on an S's kick. Then even they even guessed Thailand. Finally, one said Canada. It's like okay, you're close. And the next guess was Mexico. It's like well, hey, you, you missed, missed there's, something, there's something in, in, in the <laughs> middle <laughs> there. But then, where it got really interesting, I said, okay, it's the third biggest city in the United States. It's where it's famous for skyscrapers. Barack Obama came from there. Michael Jordan, Al Capone, pizza, all the stuff you yeah. you know yeah. trigger it. And these 13, 14-year-olds were completely blank, confounded. Uh, finally, they guessed Texas. It's <laughs> like, oh, it's not a city. California, yeah. now.
3: Michael but, Jordan's from Texas. Yeah.
0: How dare you? But, but what was interesting is <laughs> to these kids, and you know, not to me, I mean, they're great kids, and I love them, and so if, if they hear this, apologies, but they, their sense of geography, and particularly of, of anything outside of Los Angeles, New York, maybe one or two other places, Orlando, Disney World. But... But Chicago was a total cipher, which makes me think that, you know, Choose Chicago has has some work cut out for it still to get Chicago's reputation. Uh, I
3: would say. So when you finally told them you were from Chicago, what was their response?
0: They were kind of puzzled. They were like, is that on the ocean? You know this kind of thing. So now this may be an indictment of the English school system in oh, geography well, as well.
3: Man, but. things are fun. That's what happened when they uh, voted to leave the European. That's that's the, that's, the area. that's Brexit right there. These kids don't know Chicago. Back yeah. in the old days, they
2: knew Chicago. Oh, we got an email here. This is from England. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> <Someone in>. <laughs> uh oh. Well,
3: wow, that's 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 staggering. You know, the uh, I remember when Harold Washington back in the good days when Harold Washington was mayor of the city of Chicago. Mm. He was very. He'd always tell the story. And he would, yeah, and he used. To be that people heard Chicago, they'd say Al Capone, bang bang bang. But now they go, how's Harold? You know, yeah, he yes, comes yes. in his he'd come to symbolize uh, Chicago in the minds of many people. So people don't have a, an impression of Lori Lightfoot,
0: not uh, yet. Although I, I sent about a whole bunch of emails after the the events earlier this week, so I'm doing my part to uh, get people up on Chicago politics. So, uh,
3: what how do you feel? Uh, which side? Would the Brits be on in the, in the uh, teacher strike?
0: And the teacher strike. That's interesting. Um, well, let's see. I, I mean, the the people that I hang out with would, would be very much in favor of the teachers. I think there's no question. But the privatization of all sorts of things, the British school system, which I didn't realize, is is rife with academies, for-profit academies, especially in the working-class neighborhoods. So in that sense, come back to Chicago and realize how Protected public schools are comparatively. I mean, there are some charter schools around, but the academization of schools and all these private, again, London companies that come in and and buy up the the failing schools and and run them in a fairly militaristic way. I've got to say, we do a lot of work in schools and go out and you know meet kids and tell them about the radio station and things like that. And uh, yeah, so there there's they've they've lost a lot of battles in these cases. I think that the labor, which was so strong there for so long, is is pretty back on its heels right now so there's some value to this is where again studs is helpful kind of spreading the the word about things from here
3: well my guess is based on what you said uh, a lot of voters in uh london would be on the side of laurie lightfoot Mm. but a lot of voters in leeds would be on the sides of the yeah
0: i think that's a safe yeah that's a good
3: Uh, And uh, so the people in Leeds would be the ones hawking the horns when they see the striking teachers and the people in London would be the ones flashing the middle finger uh, when they see. And there was very few. I I don't want to exaggerate. We had a teacher in here yesterday, Lita Buchanan, was talking about this one particularly obnoxious uh, rich guy in a car drive by
0: and flip the bird to them. Mm. Um, I was out with my son's old. He went to Goethe school in uh, Logan Square or Goethe as it was called for many years. But (laughs) now it's got now it's come back to Goethe. Wait, time Um, out. Do people call it goethe they actually do they, the correct well in the past five years it started to shift they were still calling it goethe when, when we Gowethi, started yet. Yeah. Yeah. but we went out with the teachers down in milwaukee avenue milwaukee and western and i have to say that the, the cars were massively supportive uh, during the rush hour commute in the morning i mean come on folks
3: if you're not honking your horn on the side of striking teachers, you got no heart, all right? Now, I realize Chicago Tribune's editorial board has no heart, but they don't really represent the city of Chicago. What I forgot the name of the banker in uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Do you remember the name of the banker? No, oh, Jimmy Stewart's, yeah, boss. Jimmy Stewart's uh, the the rumph. That's uh, the attitude of uh, the Power that be. All right, Tony, thank you very much. And uh, you're our... Uh, British correspondent, not London correspondent. You're a British correspondent. You're a correspondent in Leeds. Every Chicago podcast uh, needs a British correspondent. So Here thank you for doing that job. Appreciate it very much, Henry. What? That was the banker's name. What? Henry. No, he had a last name. It was Mister Potter Potter Mister Potter, Mr. Potter. Potter. Henry F he Potter. Oh, very good, Mr. Potter, yeah, I can't believe I forgot that I've only seen that movie 342 times. You'd think I'd remember Mr. Potter. Anyway, uh, I also wanna give a shout out to Ed Maher, did a great job uh, in the two o'clock hour, and Miles, Camp Lassen, right? There you go. D? There Camp you go. Lassen.
2: There's an F at the end, Camp. Uh,
3: in uh, from in these times and Jacobin magazine, and of course the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois. Uh, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Yeah, no,
2: dude. they don't. But hey, I uh, posted uh, the details of the CPS uh, CTU deal. Well, I'm about to post it on our Facebook page. Go check it out at Benny J Show if you want the details on all that.
3: Is it written uh, in legalese or is it written in uh, English? Written by Lauren Fitzpatrick. Oh, it's Chicago Sun Times story. <laughs> Chicago well, Sun-Times. then it's written in English because <laughs> reporters know how to write. All right, they're not like lawyers. I'm going to write it so no one can understand it, okay. and then they'll have to hire me. Uh, anyway, uh, yes, check out Lauren Fitzpatrick, great writer for the Chicago Sun Times. And uh, as I was going to
2: say, D, give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J. Bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download podcasts. Subscribe. And hey, downloaders, we live stream the show. Yes, and we've gone three days in a row with no glitches. Yeah, way to go, us. I'm proud of us, Ben. Oh, and I got to give our guest, Tony. He has an excellent costume. Very good. What are you for Halloween? Well,
0: I I'm going to cheat. and so My son decided to dress up as the John Hancock building for Halloween. So I, I unfortunately have nothing to compare with that. But I'm pretty proud to
2: have a son who's going to walk around as the John all Hancock right. in the blizzard today. Well, I got Kit Kats, Reese's, Hershey's, and Almond Joy's. So you're going to get them all there. All right. Hey, see you tomorrow, everybody. Oh, and live stream. Check it out. Facebook at Benny J Show B E N N Y the letter J Show ChicagoSunTimes.com ChicagoReader.com Chicago Sun Chicago Chicago Times YouTube channel. Okay, bye.